So when we decided to talk about friendship on the podcast, that is when we dared to take on such a vast, complex, surprisingly thorny and vulnerable topic that we can hardly do justice to, we envisioned casual roundtable type conversations with friends rather than interviews. Much harder for poor Ryan to edit, but generally much more fun to do. And then I immediately thought of Leah, a Korean adoptee from the US who moved to Seoul about six months ago, a freelance illustrator and filmmaker, and my new friend. New friend, as I say the words, I shudder a little. Because as someone who can both make and lose friends quickly, who has lived long enough in a large, transient city to tire of the revolving door of adoptees and expats, as someone who has, let's just say, some adoptee issues, I don't want to jinx it. I feel the potential of a deep, nourishing, long-term friendship, and I want to take it slowly. It might sound weird to some, but I'm not the first to say it. Making new friends is not so different from dating. There's an initial chemistry, a vibe that clicks, or at least feels easy, a mutual admiration, like a girl crush, you might say, later deepened by similar values, consistent behaviours, and thoughtful communication. I'm looking for someone warm, funny, smart, and above all, kind, just as I would be with a romantic partner, and someone who also prioritises friendship in their life. Someone whose friendship light is on, to use the old men are like cabs analogy from Sex and the City. I first met Leah in 2019, briefly in unusual circumstances. We were both attending a therapeutic workshop for adoptees facilitated by Hildebrand Vestra. In one family constellation exercise, which is kind of like a guided role play, I represented Leah's Korean mother and sat cross-legged on the floor, cradling her head, a mass of wavy black hair in my lap, as she sobbed. I didn't necessarily expect to meet her again, and over time I've developed a moderately strict temporary visitors are not friends policy, but I saw her courage. That person is not afraid to go places, I thought. Two years later, she texted me to say that she was planning to move to Korea the following year and asked if I had any neighbourhood recommendations. If I could live anywhere, I would live in Mangwon, a mix of hipsters and traditional Korea, I replied, and then promptly forgot about it. Because, in my personal estimation, only half of the adoptees who talk about moving to Korea actually do. And then, almost exactly one year later, she texted again. Hannah, been stalking you on IG and followed your directions, and now I'm in Mangwon. In the meantime, I had also moved to Mangwon, and in all honesty, semi-regretted advising another adoptee I barely knew to move here too. At that point, I was cagey and hesitant to meet up, explaining that I had a lot going on emotionally right now with plans to leave Korea, and, I quote, because of weird astrological eclipses, which makes me laugh now because it is so painfully millennial and something always seems to be eclipsing or in retrograde. In short, my friendship light wasn't on. But relatively quickly, and to my surprise, the friendship grew, partly due to shared circumstances and proximity, but also because of intentionally showing up for and checking in with each other in sometimes big but mostly small ways, like the small netted veins of a leaf which provide the microstructure for the whole plant. Okay, I don't know if that analogy quite works, but don't think too hard about it. 
This is something I've learned from Leah, who very consciously created a four-bedroom share house in San Francisco's Mission District because she wanted a place and housemates that felt like home. For me, friendship is foundational, she said, in a birthday toast over makgeolli and kimchi chonbyeong at an outdoor pocha near the Mangwon Han River Park. In the week of my own birthday, I had feelings. Shocking, I know. There was probably an eclipse or something going on. We met for a neighborhood coffee to chat about my upcoming party, and she also offered to meet again on my actual birthday because, quote, birthdays can feel weird, so I want to make sure you have chances to celebrate if you want, she texted. In the early hours of the morning after my party, we walked back to Mangwon together due to the city's post-pandemic taxi shortage. Me, drunk and queasy, her less so, stopping at a McDonald's on the way. My treat, she said, punching filio fishes and other items that we didn't need but sounded fun at the time into the ordering screen. Abundance takes many forms, including mozzarella sticks and friends who stay at your party until the cheese goes cold and hard. So now I've done a complete 180 by declaring my new fledgling friendship on the podcast and hopefully I haven't jinxed it, but hopefully I've also answered the question of why Leah for part one of our friendship series. And now, after this extended intro that became a baby essay, here's our convo. You're listening to Adopted Feels with Hannah and Ryan, a podcast on anything and everything adoption-related. Well, I'm honored to be on the podcast. Thank you both so much for having me. Um, as Hannah mentioned, I've been in Korea for six months now, so I've kind of gotten a little tiny slice um, of friendship in Korea, specifically in Seoul. Um I feel like it was similar to starting a new school halfway through a school year and getting to the cafeteria and wondering kind of like what lunch table I'm going to sit at. Um, in Seoul, I feel like, and this might be completely wrong, right? Because I'm green. In Seoul, it feels like we're all at a big table, actually. And it's kind of like a big family. So with all of its wonderful connections and also like idiosyncratic connections, And, you know, you know which people you can't seat next to each other and also who, um, where there are alliances. So I feel like um, that's kind of how, like, coming into the adoptee community felt for me. Um, and I think it's important to maybe suss out what friendship is, because Traditionally, growing up in the Midwest, in the U.S., I thought of friends as very different from a romantic partner and very different from family. And I think the more I am on this earth, the more I kind of blur those um, categories and thinking about community and kinship. And um, Hannah, when you were talking about the pandemic, I just thought of like mutual aid networks and community care a lot. Hannah also asked us to think of like phrases we've heard about friendship <laughs> in our life. And I think it's, there's so much rich conversation to be had among adopted people about friendship. I'm thinking also specifically in Korea, how I'm thinking of the quote, like 
strangers are friends you haven't met yet, which I hate, <laughs> like as a, as a phrase, but I love it in theory or in practice, actually. So in theory, I hate it. In practice, I love it. Um, I've noticed in Korea, in Seoul, like strangers don't speak to one another as much as they do in the U.S. So it just makes me think about friendship in a little different way. Um yeah, another quote I've thought about is uh, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family and what that means for us as adopted people um, seen as our adoptive family members, our non-biological kin, or that's what I don't always think of my family that didactically, but um, that is kind of what they are. Um, and then the last thing I'll say about just quotes that I have in my mind is my only, my older Korean sister here recently told me she feels like she has a new best friend in me. And I'm wondering like just what that means in terms of, again, like this overlap between um, partnership, support networks, friends, and family. When you were both speaking, I was also thinking about like French, you know, you guys are both talking about friendship in particular contexts, right? And I guess for, Korean adoptees living in Korea. That's a very, very specific context. And if you're explaining the like the world that you inhabit as like this big table, like I would imagine that 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 forming friendships when there is already this mm-hmm. table that exists where people know each other or know of each other, just like pro- probably would like create more challenges perhaps in terms of how close you get to someone and what other people might be saying about that person. And like, given how small that community is, I'm wondering too, of like the particular dynamics of friendship that we want to talk about today in, in Korea, in that specific context is maybe quite different to like friendships elsewhere. I guess the main difference um, about the, the context of, friendships you know, here as an adoptee within the adoptee community is that it's a small community where uh, we have shared trauma, I guess. <laughs> and, um, and it's a small transient, but it's, I think it's very easy to initially connect because we're all going through a very specific experience of like, of living here, like trying to carve out a, a life here. Right. Um, I don't know what else I want to say about that. It's just like the smallness is maybe can be a bit of a minefield sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering, Ryan, if you have, if you feel like since you don't live here, if you have a lot of friends who are adopted people or more friends who aren't necessarily. I guess I would say I have quite a lot of adoptee friends. I'm also like, as I've gotten older, I'm also quite happy to have very different sorts of friendships with different sorts of people. Like not, not kind of like thinking that a friendship has to look a certain way or have a particularly like to have a particular intimacy with that person. Like I feel like there has to be some connection and some, you know, reason why we enjoy each other's company and why I want to hang out and whatever. But you know, I feel like there are certain friends that I can speak to very about certain topics and really, you know, maybe be a bit more forthcoming with them and other friends that I'm just like, 
yeah, I'll like see you at a bar and we'll have fun and it's nice to do things with you. Um, but I'm not kind of expecting like deep and meaningfuls. Um, and I feel like the older I've gotten, the more I'm kind of happy to have, I don't know, like if, if different circles or rings kind of is the right kind of image image for that. But I think when I was younger, like, especially like a teenager, like I wanted my friends to like really, really, really get me like to get all of me, you know? Um, and now it's, I'm a bit more, I don't want to say like I compartmentalize people or my experiences, but it's just a bit more like, okay, well, this is the level of the friendship we have right now. And that if that means we catch up for breakfast like every three to six months, that's fine. I care about you. I feel like you care about me. And then that's great. Like we don't need to be texting every week kind of thing. So can I play um, devil's advocate? If you see someone for, <laughs> for brunch or for drinks every three to six months, is that a friend? Like, is that, or is that, is it really like, I'm just, I'm just posing this. I'm not like to all of us. Like, would you call that a friend? I think there's this idea that like, a good like that friendships require less maintenance than than definitely than romantic partners or um or even close family members right and that a good friendship um is one that you can just like pick up like a few months or even a few years later and it's just like oh it's just as if like no time's gone past or something i'm skeptical about whether you can truly just pick things up at like, I mean, on what level can you just pick up something with someone that is with someone you've had no communication with for like the, you know, like mm. six months or a year. Mm. I think for me, the context of COVID too changes things. Right. But I think also for me getting older, I'm also seeing that my friends don't have the time they used to have. Mm. And so for some people, like they have, they have small children, um, like it's just not possible to see them with, in the same frequency that I would have before. I guess I evaluate it more in terms of like, I don't know, level of care or like level of like, do I feel like when we do catch up, it still feels like there is some sort of connection there. I think it, I guess this is a topic that we'll also touch on, right? But I feel like it's really difficult to make friends in your 30s. <laughs> and um, it's also difficult to maintain them if we expect that our friendships can look the same way that they did when we were in our 20s, I feel. Yeah, I think that's a question that we should like to explore, whether um, we think it's hard to make friends in your 30s. Um, and okay, I was like, oh man, it's just me. <laughs> no, 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 I'm sure it's, no, I think it's, I, I agree. I generally agree with that, but, but I think at the same time, um, perhaps because I've thought about friendship like way too much, I, I'm more clear about <laughs> what I'm looking for in, hmm. in a close friend. And again, like no one has like the time or energy to maintain like a whole bunch of close friends, but I'm, I'm more clear about that than I was in my twenties or in my teens. Right. Um, so that makes it easier in a sense, I think to, I don't know, just to like recognize when I connect with someone and when I don't. 
asked the question about quotes earlier, just to like take a step back. Um, I just want to share my quotes with you, with, with you both. Okay. So my mom, my adoptive mom, I think partly because of her experience of, of being a bit lonely as an adult and kind of, she was, she was like an expat wife, right? Cause we moved around a, a lot when I was growing up and So she used to say to me, like when I would talk to her about like any kind of difficulty with friends or anything, she would say, Hannah, you're lucky if you make one true friend in your whole life. So, (gasps) (laughs) Um, but actually I found that actually comforting because, because usually, you know, I had like say one or two people (laughs) in my life and I, so to me, like this idea of like a true friend, like that's a quite a high bar. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, yeah. I found that like comforting because I was like, you know, I think that's kind of realistic that a lot of people are maybe lonely or feel like that they don't have like really good friends, like really solid friends or that they don't have that many. Yeah, so I felt like that, that it, it gave me – a realistic sense of um, in a way. And it, and it made me just kind of like grateful and content if I had like one or two like really good friends. And then another um, quote, <laughs> this is so random, but so, you know, Goop, Gwyneth Paltrow's like magazine mm-hmm. slash empire. So I, for some reason <laughs> I was like reading like early um editions of goop and there was like there was some article where Gwyneth was like talking about like friendship or like advice from her father or something anyway so apparently I think I think this is right Gwyneth Paltrow's father said to her you can't make new old friends and for some reason that just stuck with me I was like damn that's right (laughs) um yeah it made me just really try to hold it on to friends who like my oldest friends are from first year of college. So now, you know, now because I'm old, that's a long time, but (laughs) um, yeah. So look, I don't know. I think, I think it is also possible to, to make really close friends or even like your so-called best friends, like in your thirties and and even forties. Like I've met people for whom that's happened. Right. Yeah. Anyway, so that quote was like, okay, like it's important to like keep cultivating those those long term friendships, and because I think that it really is a a gift that to have someone have those people in your life that have grown up with you. I just think that's so precious that that they've like kind of borne witness to your whole journey, to a lot of your journey. Yeah. So anyway, those are my quotes. <laughs> Can I ask for both of you, I, I feel like I get the sense already from Hannah, but like, have you both been always like wanting a couple close friends? Like, is that usually how you'd have connections or would you be like more group based in your like friendships? I just, I want to know what you two think a friend is first. Mm. <laughs> just a basic definition because I feel like it's so vast. And I think that speaks to the heteronormative political agenda of this hierarchy of relationships we have in our lives that are based in blood marriage, or maybe cohabitation where we haven't always had agency. Like just saying that 
Um, I feel like friendships actually don't have a lot of value in society um, from the powers that be, even though I think they're vital to our survival. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm like, what's a friend? <laughs> Uh, I think it's interesting. Hannah mentioned um, the book Big Friendship by Anne Friedman and um, Aminatu So, and they have matching tattoos. And they said it's kind of their way to externalize to the world that they belong to one another as friends because there isn't this traditional exchange of rings. There isn't a traditional contract or legal proceeding, but it shows it's a symbol of commitment. And I feel like And I'm still curious what your definitions of friends are, but because friends are not acknowledged in society with importance, I think, yeah, I think that's so, that's beautiful. And it's, it's akin to like friendship bracelets, right? From grade Hmm. school or friendship necklaces. And even now I'm wondering like how comfortable you two would feel like naming your best friends, right? Something that's so easy to do seemingly, I think when you're young, now I'd be like, oh God, it's so political. Or like, are they going to hear or who's on and off the list yeah <laughs> who's B team JV varsity so I think like yeah maybe people already know maybe people already get this sense from me but like so uh, of course there are like levels of friendship I feel like I have maybe kind of an unusual friendship constellation because um I have one person that I call my best friend and um, over time I have like pressured him to also call me his best friend. (laughs) And and I think it is also a relationship that uh, like at times definitely blurs the boundary between like friendship and partner and family. Actually, Mm. Saying that makes me feel kind of emotional. Anyway, um, I have one one best friend that's kind of in my, like, little inner sphere. And then I have um, maybe only two or three in the next little sphere. And sometimes though that next sphere kind of those people change a little bit or kind of, like, drift in and out a little bit. Yeah, then the next sphere is, like, much bigger and it's, like, maybe anyone that I would happily hang out with. But to me, you know, based on, like, my mom's definition of, like, a true friend, um, a true friend, I think, is someone that you definitely trust and respect, um, someone that you can rely on someone that you would feel comfortable to be pretty vulnerable with. Um, And yeah, you know, like someone that, um, you know, you wouldn't necessarily do this unless you really needed to, but someone that you could call in the middle of the night and be like, either like shit's going down or I'm really struggling. They would either call you back or like, you know, because I feel like for um, friends on the more outer circles, because we're all, we're busy, right? You know, like when when someone texts you or someone calls and you just kind of like, you know, if you're busy, you take your time getting back to that person a bit. That, I mean, that's not the only marker, but uh, that, that's that's roughly what my, what friendship looks like to me. So, um, 
and I and I'm probably at this particular point in my life like I think maybe more reliant on on friends in a way yeah I think especially like living overseas like your close friends kind of like become a bit like chosen family almost by necessity like frankly like almost for um survival like I've spent like two quite lonely slightly depressing Christmases and winters here in Korea like without close friends and family or without yeah you know the people that I grew up with and um yeah so sometimes like you ugh, you build you build what you need in your life you build I, I think that's part of being an adult and part of like moving to a different city or a different country you know um Anyway, I've like trailed off into like a weird place, but that's basically what friendship means to me. <laughs> <laughs> and a certain le level of intimacy, a certain level of like vulnerability and mutual openness is like quite critical for me because then I feel like, I feel like connected. I feel like, you know, we trust each other. We're not just passing the time. We're not just making small talk. Like, so it's like not just fun. I mean, like, I like fun. I like um, just hanging out with people and like big groups. Like I, I actually, I love big groups, but to call someone a, a friend, um, there's kind of, there's definitely some more, more vulnerable kind of, I definitely need that element. I think that's so funny you said that. <laughs> it's not all fun. Because I think I was we were crying together like less than 48 hours ago um, at a cafe in public. <laughs> um, Ryan, do you want to answer the friendship question? Otherwise, I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I would just go back to, I guess, what I said earlier about... Um, Friend is someone who's like, there's a level of reciprocity. There's like, we enjoy each other's company. And like, for me too, it's like curiosity and care, right? About their lives and like their histories and like where they've come from and, you know, what they want out of life or, you know, like that there's a kind of like, I'm invested on some level in in, in what they're crafting, you know, for themselves, right? And, yeah, I guess a level of some sort of shared interests, I think, probably, if I, if I think about the friends that I have, there is something that pulled us together, right, that, that created a, a good, like, initial reason to meet and to speak and, and then kind of explore if that would become, like, a deeper friendship. So I think those things... Are, are obviously, um, yeah, existing in similar spaces or being mutual friends of with people, like something that brings you together at the start is, is really important. Um, but, I, you know, it's also interesting, like, I suppose similar to dating where on paper, so to speak, you know, you might assume that you'd be really good friends with someone and then just it's just not really working. It's just like kind of like not really there for both of you. Um, and so, yeah, I think it takes like more than just, yeah, we have these things in common or whatever. Um, 
for me too, I think humor is really important. Like I really like to be able to laugh with my friends. I like having the lightness as well as the ability to, to speak more deeply about things. And um, I, I really value that too. I love, I love that my friends make me laugh. Um, that feels important too. I agree with that, right? I'm thinking of the Backstreet Boys song, like, I don't care who you are, what you've done. I'm like, <laughs> make me laugh. <laughs> I agree. Um, I think my bar is much lower than the two of you for a friend. I think it's anyone that, like, helps me survive <laughs> and, like, honestly get through life because life is really hard. Um I think Oprah said that people in your life are your life is like you're carrying a big wagon up a hill and there's people in your life that are weighing it down and there's people that are helping you carry it up. And I think that varies from time to time. Um, but I think that's where friendship really uh, is defined um, in my mind, similar to community and just like social bonds in general. There's a really bad book called tribe by a white European dude and one nugget that he says, which is great, is about how social bonds are restored by like large scale disaster because people actually need one another. Like you need to cooperate, you need community. And community is really like being able to rely on someone. So like Hannah said, like when you need to call someone in the middle of the night crying, like that's when I think friendship might show up. Yeah, and, I, and Hannah and I have talked about this <laughs> privately, but like I probably wouldn't be here without my friends. Like on this earth living because life has been rocky. So I think even if friends aren't necessarily holding me at any given time, I can hold them. Um, and you know, they can also hold me, but that's, that's also like vital to a life. I think being able to help other people. So it's like, it goes both ways. It's not just like I'm calling people when I'm crying, but if someone calls you and they're crying and you have the bandwidth or you have the tools to like, communicate a boundary like you don't have the bandwidth it like makes you feel like you're on this earth for a reason it makes you feel belonging like all of the the things that are so vital to our existence and I feel like probably friendship has been ignored in society because we've been so focused on uh physical health attributes only and less like mental health attributes um which and I think friendship gives us a lot of those intangibles that are absolutely vital to our existence. Boom. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of reminds me, Leah, like once, um, I think a couple of weeks ago, you texted um, just to be like, oh, hey, feelings check. Like, I just like, how are you going? Like, how you, yeah. Um, which I thought was like, you know, it's, that's not just like saying like, oh, hey, how are you? It, it's like it, it's like a little bit more kind of like specific and intentional. And um, I was wondering if that was something that you kind of like learned or developed from um, your yeah friends in San Francisco or – Yeah, years of careful study. No, I don't know. Feels <laughs> check. Um, I think checking in on people is really important. I think an important breakthrough in my life has been that relationships aren't necessarily transactional. 
I think growing up, I saw the way my U.S. adoptive mother operated as very like selfless, kind of like this stereotype in media, like the mammy role or the marmy role, um, which is often like placed on women. And I was like, oh, okay, like she's acting selflessly and giving her all in this very unequal relationship to her friends, her husband, her children. And so like one day I'm going to have to do that as well. And it's kind of just this like give and take. Um, so for a long time, I think in my twenties, I would text friends, like, how are you when really I should have texted them or it would have been more clear to be like, Hey, I'm having a hard time and I need a friendly voice. Um, but I felt this like transactional nature, I think among, or I learned, uh, growing up that it had to be like mutually beneficial all the time. And it was very, ugh, it's just a very like business way to think about friendship. Um, And so now, yeah, I think checking in is important. And I think being honest about like what you need so friends can show up for you. Um, I had to like move places during the pandemic and I was really stressed. And I was like, okay, I know I can ask my friends for quarters because there was a quarter shortage and I needed to do laundry. And that's what would like put my mind at ease. So I was just like, hey, friends, can you give me quarters? Like something very specific and little. And they did. And I was like, wow, that's also friendship. (laughs) Um, It doesn't have to be like feelings all the time. It can also be like an act of service. So I have a question that um, I was kind of thinking about when Hannah, you were speaking. I don't really keep in touch with anyone that I knew as a child. Um, I went to school overseas and then I moved to another school in the middle of ninth grade. And for me, moving to Australia and meeting people here who are like, oh, we grew up together. Like we literally went to primary school through to whatever. And I've seen this person through prom and whatever, whatever. I don't know if I'm like missing out for that. Like I actually don't know if I'm jealous of that really, but I guess it's also cultivated the sense of like friendships don't always last. That doesn't mean that they aren't good friendships. Doesn't mean that they don't serve you. It doesn't mean that um, there isn't a level of care, but certainly not to like challenge what your mom said, <laughs> said Hannah, but like this kind of like, in a way that is a, like this idea of like having only a couple really true friends in your life is kind of like mirrors this like also the, you know, a romantic narrative of marriage where you have one person that that's for you. Right. And, and I feel like, like mm-hmm. things change all the time and um at least in my experience, also coming out meant that I lost friends and not because they were particularly mean or or horrible, but just, I feel like I've had many occasions in my life where I'm like, okay, well, who's important to me? What do I need now? Oh, I'm, I'm changing in these ways. And therefore I need to seek out different types of people and like learn more about these other communities. And following all of those changes also means that you can't, really do that with the same group of people all the way through. And so like the, there is also this narrative of like the best friends that you have are the ones that have been there the longest. And for me, that's, Mm. I don't know, that doesn't really feel quite 
realistic with, mm-hmm. with, I guess, my, yeah, my life history. But. Even though I value um, a couple of really long-term friends, yeah, just because they're long-term friends, I don't think that necessarily makes them, makes them the closest. For the, both of those friendships, actually, it's like on both sides, we've had to fucking like fight and work to hold on to each other for like that long, for 18 years, you know. It's not like it just continued. Like it's not like it just, you know. Yeah, so that's the first thing. Um, yeah, I think as well, like, you know, like let's say just take like me coming back to Korea and um, exploring like my identity and stuff like that. (laughs) Definitely started making like more friends of color and more like adoptee friends, right? So, I mean, yeah, that just like naturally happened. I just think that sometimes with, with that like idea of like, oh, you have friends for different seasons or whatever it is, or that just, that just friends come and go, Mm -hmm. um, I don't necessarily know why that we're okay with, like why we're okay with that much um, change sometimes in our friendships where, or that we, why we don't sometimes like um, work for them in the same way that we would for romantic partners. And I think like everyone has the kinds of like these friendships where you like, they they either just like trailed off or maybe something happened, but you just kind of like just, just let it trail off. I don't know. There's always like one or two people that I think about. I'm like, oh, like where it bothers me that I maybe didn't make more of an effort to just maintain that in some way. Not not that we would necessarily like be, you know, best friends now, but just that, yeah, that I just. Is that coming from a place of like you think that's what you should do? Like you should hold, like you owe them something or you should have put in more effort or. Yeah, I'm just wondering, like, where that, where, yeah, I suppose, like, where that feeling's coming from. I just have to, like, be more specific, like, just that I think that there are times in my life where um, there's either been either, like, a conflict or um, a case where I just, where we just, like, drifted apart, but... I feel like I use this narrative like, oh, friends come and go, like, oh, you know, like friends for different seasons or whatever, um, to to justify to myself like just not ever contacting that person again or not ever like really letting my feelings be known or like, you know? Because they've hurt you or? In either case where there was like a, a disagreement or something, like some issue or – I just, I don't really know why we like sometimes think of friendships as being quite a little like disposable or like a little bit kind of like, oh, you, you like you just make new, new ones so easily. I don't know. I mean, it's not too late. You could reach out to them after this call, right? Like <laughs> that's the beautiful thing I think about friendship and relationship that is, there's like a fantasy that it has to be the same at all points in time, but similar to like, maintaining like a healthy body it's like sometimes my body's healthier than others and sometimes you're closer to people and less close to people and it's like more fluid like I'm trying to kind of kick the habit of asking my friends who are partnered like how's it going with x your partner because I just wouldn't ask that of someone and their friend (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't know where I'm going with that. Just this idea. But don't you usually like ask? I don't know. Isn't that just kind of like checking in on someone and like and their life? Like, oh, so I don't know how things with. But again, it's this like hierarchy of relationships. I think like mm. my romantic partner is and will be just as important to me as my friends. Mm. Like I need, I think I need that. And I think most people do. It's just that we've been conditioned to only need one person or in media, it's like, oh, you have your partner and then maybe one best friend and that's it. That's like all that's really shown on screen. Yeah. When I think that's just not um, reality or I don't know, that seems slim. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, a lot of, for a lot of people, I would say, you know, their long-term romantic partner kind of becomes like their best friend and they kind of, you know, you retreat into that relationship a little bit and and it's like this kind of socially accepted thing that, oh, you know, people especially at the beginning of a relationship are going to just neglect their friends a little bit and it's just like something that you expect and accept. Yeah. Do you think, I, I wonder if that hierarchy is ever going to change I, I just, a, a relationship. I just feel a little, like I agree with you, but I, I just feel like kind of pessimistic about, <laughs> I don't know why that thing's changing there. Because it's been freaking hundreds of, or I don't know, it's been a long time in the modernized world that we've had these institutions of marriage and how we own property and who we have agency over. Like, I think what this conversation is making me think is we need to resist the idea that, or we could write our own article about how I think maybe it's easier to find friends in your thirties because you know yourself better and have more agency. Like when you're young, the friends that you have are ones your parents have chosen most likely. And like, assuming that nothing has changed since your birth, like people change pronouns, like people change names. Um, I think that agency is something that's missing from are like larger institutions. And because of the the policies in place currently and the legal structures, like that's why I think that uh, marriage and children take precedence because of beneficiaries and hospital um, power of attorney <laughs> and things like that. Like, I think it's actually really sad that here in Korea, if my family members were to be sick, and this could almost make me cry, if my family members were to get really ill, I don't know if I could visit them because I'm not legally kin to them. Hmm. I'm legally kin to my U.S. family. It's an interesting situation, too, where blood doesn't even matter in that case. Like the law made by not us um, trumps all. There are organizations in Korea like doing the work, like the Institute for the Rights of Found Family. Like, I think it's interesting, the queer community in Korea says found family, and in the U.S. we say chosen family, um, but those are equivalent. And I think that's, like, very interesting and exciting that people are fighting for, like, a more expansive view of kin and friendship and family. Like, on that point of... um you know, making friends like later in life or, you know, in your thirties, I think it's like on the one hand we are more clear about maybe, um, you know, like what we're looking for in friendship or who we connect with. But then on the other hand, we have less time. Um, 
And but also who has less time? Like I have so much time. <laughs> who has less time? <laughs> like, I'm serious. <laughs> Ryan has less time. Yeah. But Ryan's like famous. What? <laughs> You're a famous like academic. <laughs> But who is driving that or what system? I just want to like challenge that. What? What's the no time? Well, I guess, that? I don't know. People, well, people who are very career focused um, or, and or have kids to look after. Okay. Yeah. But there's lots of people that aren't career focused and don't have kids mm. in this world. Obviously it's contextual, right? But like when you're at uni, at least for me, most people work casual shifts at an hospitality or retail or whatever. So people have very different schedules than they would. Now, most of the people that I know work nine to five or eight to six, mm -hmm. eight to seven. I mean, it just kind of seems like by, you know, your mid to late thirties, there's this sort of like way in which people are routinized into more standardized ways that society generally cuts up your day um and then if you add on top of that the fact that parents are now getting older or you have friends who are sick or or you have kids it just seems like there are fewer available slots where where both parties or you know four people that want to catch up are actually free at the same time <laughs> that's one thing they say about the show sex in the city is those four women would never have that kind of time because they like always have brunch together they like go shopping together i don't know i'm feeling feisty i think because i like talking to you too and i haven't gotten to talk to both of you ever um but i really want to challenge that it's like okay why don't we have time is there like a long commute home like, why are we living in like isolated single family homes? Why aren't we living in more like communal style living where we can have intergenerational interactions? Like if childcare's taking up a lot of time, like why isn't that labor more dispersed um, in communities? I just have so many like imaginations and visions about what it could be and what a world could look like with more friendship and less loneliness. And I think... I don't know if it's possible given the structures currently in place, but I certainly want to like imagine what it would be like to come home from work and not be exhausted. It's like, what is exhausting about work? It's because everyone's overworked in the Western. I mean, everyone's probably overworked. Um, yeah. I don't know. I just want to like crack open all of those assumptions. I actually think as well, I dare say that it's just like people don't prioritize friendship in the same way. Like I think like say in like uni days and like your early twenties or something, or, uh, you know, there are periods in your life where you're expected to be making new friends and meeting people. And that's kind of like one of the, you know, like goals of that season of your life. Yeah. And then I think culturally when we're expected to like settle down or whatever, it's like, I don't know how friendship fits into that. Um, we need, we should make a TV show. It'll be like friends, but everyone's in their forties <laughs> or fifties. Like what is, we don't have models. Like we don't know what that looks like. I mean, I, I know again, this is like a really extreme example, right? But, um, but with my best friend who like lives in another country, when we're both busy, it will be like, we'll text. And then I'll say, um, I'm, I'm in my work break. 
do you want to do you want to like chat on on whatsapp or whatever for literally like um eight minutes and then he'll like call me like so i know that i mean i know that that's uh but you know i think like when you when it's a, a priority to or maybe i guess you need like a certain level of intimacy to be able to do that in the first place but when it you know like you just snatch time like just the way that you would snatch time for anything else that's important to you like you I don't know like pe people like carve out time to like work out obviously right or like uh get up early to to write or something before your day job or I guess I'm just like posing an argument here but it can be like that and I think that's the thing though it's like okay how do we see that as not extra labor because you're now equating it to like a task like oh fuck I gotta stay in touch with this person versus like okay fine like don't exert effort and like Maybe that's okay for some people. Maybe they are self-sufficient, but I do it because like I need it, you know, to like, I don't know, even like calling a friend when I don't feel like talking about my day. I'm like, tell me what's happening in your life just to like get out of my brain even like that's super helpful for me. So it's like, I'd love to frame friendship as like not this ugh, heavy, unfun task, but more as like this thing that like nourishes you ideally. But I think you are and if it's not, yeah, I think you only yeah. do that, though, if you – I think you go to that effort hopefully, like, when – yeah, when you want to, like, when it does feel uh, just natural to – yeah, you, you, you just want to, like, stay connected to that person, like, what's, what's going on with them, I guess. I mean, that's, to me, a successful relationship when it's equal parts – or maybe not equal parts. I don't know. I'm not good at math or science. Um, when it's some parts, there's a proportion of, like, agency involved and also obligation – like, sometimes it feels really good to be like, oh, this person's sick. Ryan's sick. I need to bring them soup. Or, like, my friend needs a ride to the airport. I need to give them a ride to the airport, even if it's not, like, the most convenient thing for you. I think that that's, like, also um, really important. Yeah, like, trying to show up for people, I think. I mean, I'm, I'm hesitant now of, like, I'm conscious of, like, that I'm by no means posing myself as some kind of, like, friendship or any kind of relationship expert like not at all <laughs> so I just want to make that really clear well I don't know what you're talking about Hannah because Ryan and I are experts so <laughs> there's this old book that I got because I was like really on a family kick like researching family it's called family in the industrial society probably written by a white guy and it talks about how um, specifically romantic partnerships and marriages are greatly reinforced by society and same with family, family obligations. And that's part of like what helps them continue. It's like, Oh, your mom's sick. Like you need to go help her. It's the societal pressure and obligation. And I'm wondering how perhaps given we all have different relationships with our families how maybe we can lighten the load or obligation that we have or pressure we feel to be a certain, um, have a certain sense of commitment to our family members, adoptive or biological. And how can we all, I guess, lessen the pressure to blindly commit to meeting family needs at every point in time while also kind of, adding care and commitment to platonic friendships. 
breakups, friendship. Uh, uh, I feel like I have two um, categories of friendship breakups in my history. One is where, um, particularly when I was younger, or I would more subconsciously push people away or test them because I think I wanted to know that, like, that friendship was, like, really solid. So I think that's what was happening. And then sometimes, um, understandably, I would, like, push those people too far and, like, Mm -hmm. they wouldn't come back or we couldn't really, like, recover from it properly. So that's one category. The second category category is adoptee friendships. Yeah, and I'm talking about, like, breakups, not just, like, trail-offs. Yeah. I really okay, so in my experience I'm talking from like things that I kind of look back and see that I do and also things I've witnessed from other adoptees I've been friends with. I think one of the things I see happen a lot is that I feel like on both sides there's a reluctance to like bring up issues and express our like any negative feelings and instead you just kind of like keep it to yourself and like either either you eventually get over it or it just kind of like festers and then something happens which is just like maybe like straw that breaks the camel's back and and there's just kind of like a ghosting on from either side where it's like oh I'm done and then because maybe we're like familiar with you know that those kind of like sudden endings then That's some of the, like, maybe less healthy relationship kind of patterns that I've seen in my own adoptive friendships. Yeah, so just, like, a a little bit of avoidance to bring stuff up and, like, have confrontation because, you know, because when you bring something up, obviously, like, whether you're adopted or not, It poses some small risk to the friendship. It's like, oh, if this doesn't go well, we could like, you know, that that person could take a step back or that, you know, they could take a really big step back or something, you you know? Yeah, I. so I feel like for whatever reason, I don't know, sometimes I wonder if my adoptive friendships have been a little bit more fraught, like a little bit bit more fragile than my non-adoptive friendships. Yeah, kind of like faster to like bond and connect in the first place, but also a little bit more like sensitive on on both sides. Um, I mean, I'm treading very carefully here because it's like this is like an adoptive podcast (laughs) with like mainly adoptee listeners. (laughs) That's a thing, right? Like if you're in a romantic relationship, like it's kind of like a priority, generally speaking, to be like, like, express your feelings and like air issues. I mean, obviously you have to, you choose your battles, right? But like that's a priority to bring up stuff like as it comes up so that it doesn't fester. Right. But with friendships, it's like, I think often, I don't know, like you need like, like a really high level of like intimacy and trust maybe to be able to be like, bring up stuff like that. And then I think as well, like, as soon as the friendship feels like, oh, oh, this feels like work, like, oh, we're, 
you know, there seems to be, we seem to have a lot of issues lately, then, then it's common to be like, hmm, is this, is this worth it? Or is this really working? Like maybe we've just drifted apart and like, oh yeah, friendships come and go. So, okay, let then just like, let that go then. It's interesting, Hannah, that you're saying that confrontation is risky because I've heard this gross generalization that in hetero relationships, women will bring up problems because they care and they want to improve a situation versus, you know, again, very generally men see bringing up problems and having a confrontational conversation is a risk to the relationship. So, Mm. yeah, it's interesting that you'd see that as a risk. I also think about um, when I was in San Francisco for five to six years, I lived with um, this really close group of three other people. So we were house of four. We were like living the San Francisco dream. Um, And I had like major friend breakups with two of them during the pandemic. But I remember um, I would want us to have like dinners planned so we could all get together, even though we all hung out a lot, mostly in the kitchen. And one of my roommates, I remember, would say like, no, I just want it to be organic. Like, I don't want to have to make effort. And like schedule a dinner with you all. I just want to like, oftentimes we'd all come home from work around the same time and just cook dinner in parallel or, you know, with each other, but it would be spontaneous. And this person thought that it was like too much work or maybe too much of a commitment to schedule something and plan and maybe acknowledge that you want to spend time with someone else. So what you said made me think of that. Yeah. I mean, there are, there are all kinds of things like in, in life, right. That we, that we think should not be an effort or that should, should not require effort. Um, like, like say like having sex in a relationship. Like some people think like, Oh, if you have to like schedule that, or if you have to like, then, then that's like, there's something like really wrong. That's too much effort. Or like, you know, going to therapy. It's like, oh, if you, if you need therapy for whatever, like your family or your, in your romantic relationship, then that's like, whoa, like something's wrong. Like if it, you, you know, um, I feel like it's like that. And so I think friendship's one of those things where the effort bar is like pretty low because of maybe, yeah, cultural narratives around friendship. I guess it's like also the same with friends. I mean, I guess just connection, like in the in broad terms, right? Is it's like val it's like valorized if it's spontaneous, right? If like the more natural it feels, and the more just like oh, this is just this, it, like as if that's more authentic than something that needs to be cultivated and worked for. Yeah, I think that there's just this like more general bias toward, you know authenticity is just a natural like I'm struck by this or you know like the love at first sight thing or you know like whatever it is that that somehow that's more valuable and maybe that's cultural like western versus eastern because I feel like the value placed on net something being natural or authentic is so much higher in the West, or at least my experience growing up in the U.S., especially around, like, beauty standards. Like, you're supposed to be, like, gorgeous, but natural, right? Like, Mm. no one, you don't want to be outed for getting plastic surgery. Whereas in Korea, I feel like it's okay if you're trying. (laughs) Like, it's actually encouraged. Like, yeah, try to look prettier. Like, why not get plastic surgery? So, 
Um, yeah, I, yeah, I just totally agree with that. And I'm thinking about it in the context of just learning more about Korean culture. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Adopted Feels Podcast. We're on Twitter at Adopted Feels. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Leah, are you there, like, indefinitely? Like, in your thinking at the moment? I'm not sure. I think it's... I'm going to leave before I die, hopefully. <laughs> like, I'm not here forever. Um, but for now, I have, like, a two-year visa. Okay. So we'll see after that. It's tough. I've heard from adoptees, like, actually good advice to not tell people how long you're going to be there because then it'll create an expectation. So I already regret kind of telling my U.S. parents, like, two years because they're like, okay, well, then you have to come back. Whereas I might extend another year, like who knows, or another two years. Like I already feel like two years isn't enough time. Mm. It's already a quarter over. Yeah. Oh, this is why I've stopped asking Hannah. <laughs> I, yeah. don't want, I don't want <laughs> Hannah to feel any pressure. So I'm like, I'm like, I, I don't know. I, yeah, I'm just not going to ask you, but She'll I will have you. to say, Hannah, everyone's always like, so when's Hannah coming back? I'm like, Oh. oh my gosh, that's so cute! It's so oh. They're like, do you know? I'm like, no, sorry. That you have to ask her. No one actually asks you that. Probably like one person. No, they do.